Welcome after a short break to a new episode in the Michael Oldfield podcast. I'm joined here by Markus Reuter. I'm Tobias Fischer. And in this episode, we'll take a look at uh, Mike's album Incantations. Um, possibly one of his, um, well, let's say it's one of the albums where I think the divide between those who think it's his greatest work and um, who cannot stand it or cannot bear to listen to it is probably the, the biggest, um, potentially. Um, it's a huge work, a sprawling work, lots to talk about. Um, at the same time, I think it's um, it's an album where um, I sometimes feel like um, talking talking leads nowhere sometimes with this album. Um, this there, it, it's potentially it, it opens up into so many directions. Uh, I sometimes feel a lot gets lost um, as soon as you start talking about it. But we'll we'll see um, as we start on this episode. Yeah, it's, um, it's it's very much an album to listen to yeah. and not to talk about. <laughs> in, in a way, and I guess that's also why, although it's so... I'm pretty sure that conceptually, if, if Mike were here and we'd sort of um, get him to agree to, to answer our questions, I'm pretty sure we could talk for hours and hours. I think mm -hmm. it's very rich in terms of um, concept and theory and um, and even the time when this was recorded. There would be so much to talk about. Um but he doesn't really. He's never really talked about it. When, uh, when, even when the um, the, re the remaster was offered to the public in two thousand eleven, he did do a few interviews, and I've listened to them. Mm -hmm. um, but there's not a lot of meat in there. There's really um, yeah. very, very little in terms of actual content about the album. I mean, the the only meat we have from him about it is in the is in Changeling. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of information about it there. Yeah. Um, and um, so there is the um, the soundtrack to the to the film Reflection that yes. has some some kind of like early versions of sections of incantations. Yeah. Uh, for that matter, also um, uh, Woodhenge from from Platinum is on there, and some variations of Amadorn. Yeah. And uh, so so. It kind of like, as you say, it spans. At, I would say at least well, what is it? Three year, three year period, mm -hmm. right? So yes. the longest up to that point, the longest he's ever had mm. to work on something. Yeah, and it is actually really um, filled with recordings for this album. It's not. Um, the, we, so he starts work in 1977, and then, um, as you say, parts of it come from a little bit earlier, and then it stretches on beyond the actual release um, of the album. So he's really filled an intense time of, and, and he has, again, he has lots of other projects going on, which I'm sure in some way must have had an impact on, on the music as well. So it's, mm -hmm. it's an mm -hmm. intense period. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the biggest, like if we talk about influences, it's first excursion um, mm -hmm. from the, uh, what's the album called? Odyssey, right? Mm -hmm. By David Bedford. Yeah. Um, that's that's the theme, you know. The theme of the album is kind of like right there, and also um, one of the riffs on side three of Incantations is the riff he plays at the end of uh, Little Red Riding Hood on the Rock Bottom album, like uh, you know, by Robert Wyatt. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so you see, there there is there is sort of like some sort of like looking back. Like like recycling maybe older mm -hmm. ideas in that album, but it's kind of much uh, much more conceptual and and newly yeah. uh, conceived 
um, as a whole thing yeah. somehow. Maybe um, I will start off, I think, <clears throat> because um, I, when I started to prepare for this uh, podcast episode, I, <clears throat> I took a piano on the side and I tried to play some stuff. And to be honest, I think um, even though I, I obviously have uh, theoretical knowledge, I think in a way I was finding that um, there were so many questions I still I simply couldn't answer myself. So I um, so maybe we'll start out by me asking you a few questions and get some answers um, for anyone who's interested in what's actually happening musically here. Um, maybe just one thing I wanted to state in the beginning is that I feel sometimes the, the album is presented as the end of a chapter. Mike Oldfield himself has sort of referred to it as the end of a chapter. I think that's slightly unfair because to me, it is also the beginning of something new. As you said, there are parts of it which appear on later albums. Um, there are, um, and I think importantly, there are certain techniques he starts exploring on the album. There's a, um, an interesting German uh, TV um, piece of, well, reportage where he talks about the album and he's seen behind his mixing desk. So that's one thing, he's behind the mixing desk. And, and he says of himself at the end of that very short interview section, uh, I'm, I'm really an engineer and a producer. Mm -hmm. And um, to me, that's what I feel about the album as well. I think it's a masterpiece of engineering. It sounds amazing still today. Yes. Even though I'm, I'm sometimes critical of the sound of the early albums, this one sounds fantastic. And um, the, it's, it's one of those where the remastered really doesn't add. Um, it doesn't really detract, um, but it doesn't really add anything. Mm. It sounds fantastic in its early stage. And it, it, the editing on this is, is insanely good. Um, we know there's a, there's a few albums <clears throat> from the 70s where the editing process sort of broke the band almost apart like Steely Dan. Um, I'm not sure how many hours went into this and how it was exactly done, um, but it's really, really, I don't know. I, I, to me, it feels like he's exploring some of the techniques which will later come to inform something like Amarok, where it's really editing, yeah, editing, yeah. editing. Yeah. Okay, anyway, so... Um, Maybe the most, the, the simplest question of all, musically, what is happening on incantations? Um, <laughs> the simplest question of all. Yeah, it's a, it's a, the, the question <laughs> itself is simple. The answer yes, may not yeah. be. Um, yeah. So he's he's doing something really, really, really cool that actually requires an understanding of music that is sort of like a, um, how should I say, like an alternative path of music theory that mm -hmm. is not really taught <clears throat> much, right? So um, what that means is that like normal music theory is pretty much based on the functional harmony. So the idea that there's uh, tension and resolution and mm -hmm. like the dominant chord is sort of a very dominant topic. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the funny thing though is that uh, in Mike Oldfield's work, I maybe there's like in this whole work there's maybe one dominant chord, <laughs> like 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 with dominant seventh chord. I yeah. mean, like he doesn't just doesn't use that. And incantations is sort of like the extreme of not using the functional harmony the way it is kind of has been used um, ever since. Kind of like we know oh, there there's actually a record of. Hmm things right so so the, the so he's kind of keeps moving around the circle of fifth in both directions uh and the the chord like at the very beginning we hear this this layered 
chord, which is, you know, it's basically going fifth up, uh, major second down, mm -hmm. fifth up, major second down, like that, and that gives you, gives the chord, and that gives the, gives an extract of a diatonic scale, but spread out across uh, some octaves. So just what a reference for the listeners, you're referring to the vocal. Um, yes, really? at the very beginning, yes. the vocal stack. Yeah. And that is, that's kind of, that's the chord. So it's not a, it's not a standard triad that is being um, used on this record, but it's that very chord. So it's a minor sounding chord, but doesn't really mm -hmm. have to be minor. It only gets like to the, what is it? One, two, three, four, uh, wait, one, two, three, four, five, six. Only the seventh note is the third mm -hmm. in the chord, in this in the sequence of the notes as they appear in the chord. And so it's really um it's it's really interesting because by by kind of like restricting, you know, by moving around the circle of fifth and by restricting himself to five, six notes, not all seven notes of the diatonic scale, uh things get very ambiguous. So you could, for example, change the bass note to be the fifth from where you are, and it would sound like you're in a different key, but the top structure, let's say the notes happening on top, could mm -hmm. still be the same. And um, he does that throughout the album, where he kind of like plays with this um, kind of crazy way of using inversions, where he's using like the, the root notes that are being played on the bass, or sometimes the root, or sometimes the third, or sometimes the fifth. And um, and these kind of like um, say arrangements of the basic basic um, um, progression um, is also done in a mathematical way. Mm -hmm. So there's there's always some sort of pattern to to how the musical material is treated, and and so each of the sections of incantations, like each incantation, if you I don't know if that's how we thought about it, but like each each section is just its own little musical world um, kind of based on, on in terms of composition on a minimal principles like minimal composition would work minimal music from the time mm -hmm. but to maximal effect maximum effect because of the use of this rich harmony and the fact that it's not stuck in one in one place and in one key but but you know mm -hmm. it can it can move around and so this, what I just said, that there's sort of like an overlap between the notes that are being used for chord and in the melody mm -hmm. with the adjacent two keys on the circle, everything can kind of like move back and forth or just, I mean, mostly in one direction, actually. Um, and and we, don't, we don't really have the feeling of ever getting to a, to a chord that needs to be resolved because yeah. it keeps moving forward, right? And that's that's the most amazing and most the, 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 the yeah the most amazing feature of this. Also, <clears throat> um, in the melodic writing, the melodies um, that are used, the melodies are referencing the stack of of notes more than they do any musical consideration in terms of like is this note mm -hmm. that is the melody actually a note that's in the chord? Like in most other music, uh, again, it's this idea of consonance and dissonance mm -hmm. and he kind of like just simply takes that one that one drone drony chord and the drony chord and like choosing notes from that chord kind of like is the rule for the for how the melodies are being composed so um so there are um like yeah, yeah i mean most famously the high water section at mm -hmm. the end of uh, part two and the uh, um whatever it's called the Cynthia section, I think, at the very last section on part four. They have the same 
the exact same melody, <clears throat> but completely different harmonization. And so it doesn't, so, and there you see, so the melody is the, just the melody and you could put any, any chord under it. Yeah. And, and that's, that's sort of like, uh, so, so basically on the harmonic level, um, on the progression of the harmonies and the melodic level, and also on the rhythmic level, um, this is sort of like his most uh, daring up to that point. Like yes. the, the very beginning, the first theme is like alternating bars of five, eight and yes. six, eight. So it's, it's an 11, eight thing um and on side four he has like the most uh complex rhythmic structure uh, in, the, in the vibraphone canon mm. that he's ever composed yeah and that's also the like the most worked out sort of um conceptual in uh, inverted commas algorithmic uh composition he's ever done he describes in the book that he's actually for this one he actually sat down he had an idea um, what he wanted to do, he wanted to use the circle of fifth, um, and then he sat down and wrote down some ideas. Um, we will probably never know what exactly he wrote down at that point. We do know that he did some um, improvisations, which he also recorded, um, which this was drawn from. But in terms of the, what what the the starting point was, what is your what do you suppose it was? Was it um, was it something like this, the, the conceptual side? Um in the Napworth uh, live video, he sh he plays a little bit of acoustic guitar mm -hmm. and electric guitar at the beginning yeah. or in between the performances, I think, in his studio. And he plays the he plays the theme of incantations when he's talking about guilty. Mm -hmm. He's guilty. You is utilizing yeah. that very chord, right? So um, and he plays it, and I think that's sort of like the way he plays it, simply by by uh, you know barring. The full guitar, which is tuned in fourth, like the fourth is in the inversion inversion of the fifth. Mm -hmm. So the guitar, and he f basically frets a chord that's just fourths, and so that's that's sort of like what he's doing. So, so he's you know he's fretting, yeah. he's barring the full chord, and then he adds with the with the third finger, he adds the fifth in between. Mm -hmm. So so it's it's and at that time, like the fourth harmony, like it's a jazz thing. Again, you know, and jazz in jazz, in the, the uh, stacked fourths, they would be used sort of like in a way that the, then again, kind of like adheres to the system of uh, of dominant seventh mm -hmm. sounds and stuff like that, right? So um, triton relationships and stuff, and you know, in incantations, that interval basically is sort of taboo because he never goes to the seventh note. The seventh note around the circle of fifth is the tritone, mm -hmm. so the opposite side of the of the of the circle, right? Mm -hmm. And he doesn't go there, and that gives him this this op these options to actually, as I say, to like kaleidoscopically yeah. move around the circle of fifth. And of course, in a way, um, it doesn't resolve, but it comes back full circle at some point. And then um... the coolest thing is that it actually does not resolve. If you listen to the last chord at the end of uh, side four, it's an, it's it's that very chord that's not doesn't resolve. It's would, that very yeah. so so. The interesting thing is that I think on the on the album version, it doesn't. It's not as effective as it really as I'm sure he wanted it to be. But there's the uh, exposed double album, live album, mm -hmm. and uh, the very ending there. Like actually has that that unresolved um, hovering kind of feel that uh, the record doesn't achieve, but on the and the live version has that, and uh, yeah, there there is there is the, the, yeah the interesting thing is that you could say there's no resolution, right? 
or you could say it's a constant resolution. Yes, I think probably this the, the conclusion I'll come to at the end yeah. of this, yeah. why I think yeah. it's so great is that it's, um, it's sort of one of the pieces which juggles um, uh, opposites. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's about, uh, it has lots of opposites. Um, and I think to me, that is the, the magical, the incantation part of it is that it achieves things which are not possible in a way, because um, some things are clearly mutually exclusive mm-hmm. and yet they happen here mm-hmm. in the same kind of in the same piece of music. What, what do you mean? What well, for mean? example, one thing is that um, the, the, um, the idea of uh, constant change mm-hmm. and still the idea of um, not changing. The, 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 the idea static of, arrangements. Yes, this is an change, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I agree, yeah. But that's, that's very much sort of, in a way, just um, uh, an extension of what he did with the very beginning of Tubular Bells, where people say, oh, it's like a, like a minimal music m- motif, right? Uh, and already then, really, like the, the fact that he moves you know, moves the chord between the A minor and the G major in the beginning of Tubular Bells, mm-hmm. the back and forth that then goes, you know, further to become a four-bar sequence. And in a way, he does that here, where he takes something that, any, again, you could see as a little, like a, like a motif or a minimal music mm-hmm. composition, but then the sort of, like, uh, let's call it theory knowledge that's in it, like that you can move these around and keep the you know, keep the bass notes constant in a, you know, is, is sort of a, um, sort of a, a feature to kind of like blow up the idea of minimal music. So it is minimal music, but it's treated in a new way, in a different way. Yes. And in a way that has not really um, ever become popular with other yep. composers. And, and so, yeah, so that's why sometimes I, for me, it's sort of a, a uh, uh, it's not a min minimal music; it's a max yep. music. <laughs> I think he's actually he's he's looked. I mean, we have to be honest about this. Music for eighteen musicians by Steve Reich was composed between nineteen seventy four and nineteen seventy six, and was released for the first time on record by ECM in nineteen seventy eight. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then actually in um, in Changeling, he he writes, I um, wrote out. Uh, I recorded a string section with an ensemble of about 18 musicians. He actually writes that in the book. Um, So what does that mean, about 18 musicians? Either there were 18 or there weren't. Mm -hmm. Um, So clearly, this in his book is a reference. I don't know if there were 18 string players on the the album. Mm -hmm. Um, I find it somewhat um, bizarre that there is actually no mention of who's playing the strings. It just says David Bedford, conductor doesn't mm-hmm. actually say who's playing. But but to say there were about 18 musicians playing these strings, which are the obvious reference to um, to, the, to the Reich piece, uh, to me indicates there's a nod to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, there's a huge difference in the way that Music for 18 Musicians deals with, um, deals with this. I mean, to me, it's clear that there's um, a far more, well, I'm going to say musical idea of, of, of working with... Um, with a pulse here, um, whereas in <clears throat> with Reich, it's often either psychoacoustic, which it is not in this piece, mm-hmm. and or it's conceptual, which I don't think it's either here. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, I think, one of the things which I find very noticeable in his use of the the sequences um, is the constant breath. So um, I think every 
this element of the of the sequence is 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 it's constantly jumping in octaves and um there's a lot of um upward and then going down upward going yeah, that's, down that that's the fifth as okay, well yeah. so 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 in the in the microscopic way let's say it's fifth but also in the in the uh, in the macro or yeah. in the in the big in the big picture we have these movements of fifth you know yeah and that creates the sort of a, a breath whereas in um in, uh, in in music for eighty musicians, it creates this um, well, this flickering, this this um, the shimmer. The shimmer, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. And and the cool thing is also, <clears throat> I think I mentioned that before. That one of the things that Mike does is uh, he's layering different subdivisions on top of each other, so which is really rare in pop music or rock music, mm -hmm. you know. So and then in tubular bells, it's a lot of like um, like three against four. You would you would call it mm -hmm. right. Also, then later on in, in like really the beginning of Platinum has like mm. the, the whole airborne, the whole section has this wacky yeah. feel. Um, so in Incantations, what he does is that there is this theme or played on a or actually sequenced, I guess, on a synthesizer, mm -hmm. which is just the yeah. and that is actually, I think it's five notes. Right, so it's it's a five note pattern that he kind of like fits into a six eight bar or in a whatever. Like it's kind of like floating on top. And yeah. and for me, um, the funny thing is that this theme sort of like represents water. And mm -hmm. and in uh, Sally Oldfield's album, Water Bearer, yeah, Water Bearer, like yes. that you find that theme. That is from that time, isn't it's, it? Yeah. It's from that time. So it's it's uh, I think Water Bearer was maybe released in eighty. 1980. Yeah, I, I don't. So. I don't know exactly. We'll have to look it up. But anyway, it's a. Uh, it's really. It's really. Uh, kind of like compositionally rich and, and there there, uh, there's this infamous. I'm just gonna gonna say it now. Um, not later in this talk. <clears throat> so the the trumpet, the trumpet um, duo. Let's call it mm -hmm. on the record, but which in the live version is is a is a. You know, it's a duo of electric guitar and trumpet. Yes. Um, that melody, like, reappears at the beginning of side two, yeah. but it's backwards. So if you like take your audio editor and you you know yeah. you load the in and you reverse the wave file and you listen, you get that melody. And I mean, this is this is just so fucking cool. I have to say. But it's composed, like, right? It, it's composed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, it's composed, but maybe maybe he found it by reversing the tape and then playing along could be yeah because it's really it's really hard to imagine what a melody would sound like backwards yeah. and i know that he's he's done stuff like that in other places like like i guess there are a lot of a lot of things that we have not yet discovered about you know about his work like um because they know you know as a composer it's that's sort of like the exciting part to to uh to find ways to almost like uh to transform, to mutate your yes. own music into something new, and and just this fact of like like okay, it's that same melody but backwards, and it's like it's going through the cycle of yeah. fifth, but now obviously it has to go in the other direction, and yes. stuff like that, and it's just it's just fascinating. And on the on the in the live in the studio recording, it's played on a fluty flute synth kind of sound. You know, it's very very hard to say. There are um, there are only three synths on the album. Mm -hmm. Very, very little electronic um, um, instruments. I'm, I'm surprised. 
Uh, I was surprised. I, I would have expected more. I think they take on a very prominent position, but it's very hard to say what is actually playing what. Um, it's also doubled, you know, and some, yeah. sometimes it's doubled. Um, yeah, I mean... Um, and uh, you're probably yeah. right that I think um, maybe he had some ideas in the editing process. Ultimately, I think a lot of it is really just really played and uh, and composed. Um, I was also... I said uh, editing is very, very good. Mm. Um, but then... There are actually different sections when you when you watch it back in the live performances. They actually play them that way, so it yeah, sounds yeah. almost like there's a there's a hard cut. And mm -hmm. probably in the studio there was a hard cut. Yeah. But they but the, it's never a cut which is completely artificial because they can all. It's always a cut which you can actually play for real. Yes. That is what makes it so yeah, 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 so yeah. interesting. Yeah. And and that that was sort of like uh, sometimes uh, when I'm hearing people's critiques of Mike Oldfield's music. Is that they say that it's just, oh, it's just a select it's like, uh, 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 a collection of parts that have nothing to do with each other. The people that say that they have simply have no idea yeah. what they're talking about. And even though, like in the studio in the recording process, they may have like stitched together, yes, and you can hear that sometimes if it's not 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 great. But I don't think that that was ever like sort of like a real consideration. Um, like on on Taurus Two, which is just such an amazing piece, for example, like you hear edits, yeah, but yeah. Uh, but still they are composed. I mean, it's the composition, right? It's like more of the textural change that makes for where you kind of realize, okay, this is spliced, right? But on incantations, because of the more or less uh, constant uh, orchestration, mm -hmm. not obviously like we'd only have the the strings on parts one and two mm -hmm. right? nothing on three and four i think um i I'm, i hope i'm right here i think, I think so, so. Um, yeah. yeah and and so 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 there you can see there's also clearly sort of within the album which four sides right like for those who don't know um there's there's also like like each each side has its sound world somehow but then all the sound worlds are obviously related because yes. it's based on the same compositional yes, principle it's it's, it's um the, the the whole is split into different parts and each part contains the whole in a way that is yeah. that is what the magic also is part of of the album yeah um, and you know there's one section which is the penultimate section in part four it's mm -hmm. um, the original version of it is uh, had a lyric yeah. which is uh, uh, make way for the strange ones is the lyric and so it's, uh, and I, I think it's probably on the reflection soundtrack. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just, it's just such a wonderful sort of, um, because like you could say, okay, so this is a very like rest restricted kind of like um, conceptual composition, but then there are moments where it really feels like totally like something that comes right out of Omadon in a way, out of this. Uh, freer expression like intuitive composition yeah. rather than conceptual uh, and then but then you realize if you're looking at it closer then then that chord sequence is the implied chord sequence under the higher author section which really is not on the record but then if you hear live versions sometimes you hear like Pekka Pochila playing that yeah. those bit root notes in the background and so so really a lot of a lot of kind of like uh, um, information about like the origin of these themes and their interrelationship. You you really only get it if you're comparing even yep. different versions. And that is of course the the great thing is that in that <clears throat> that the the, this, the the therapy happens in between 
um, recording incantations. Yeah. And then he goes out and plays it. And suddenly, for just a very brief window of time, we can actually see his process. We can actually see it's everything we've, we didn't know before in the thir- first three albums where he doesn't go out and play, where he refuses um, um, to, um, to perform live. Mm-hmm. Now suddenly we can see, because there are actually in, in the live versions, there are fantastic guitar parts which mm-hmm. add to the music mm-hmm. um, at places where I'd never have expected them. Yes. And um, I mean, they don't, it doesn't mean the, 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 the record is, is lesser in any way or the live version is better. Um, but it's fascinating to, to, to see because he said he threw away a lot of music as well. It would, I mean, I'm sure um, some of that, what he threw away, as we know, as he sometimes does, um, mm-hmm. would probably have been fantastic as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I think that the exposed version, the live version, is really incredible because sort of like it's yeah. uh, sonically and in mood-wise, it's it is more coherent than the studio record for mm-hmm. sure, obviously because it's played right, and there would, it had to be some editing because like couldn't play the whole hour and ten minutes or no. something, um, and and so what's 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 happening is that some of the key moments of the live recording of the studio recording are not there mm-hmm. right so the 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 long guitar solo yeah. in the third part for example yeah. right um uh and it kind of like makes it more focused is what some people say but i would say it's just a, it's just for me it's almost like a different piece of music yeah because um, yeah i agree because it's so in, in terms of mood as well Yes, yes, yes. And I mean, the studio recording, I absolutely love it. And you know, like, here's some background for you. Like when I bought, I bought my first CD in 87, I think, and it was Incantations, 86, maybe. And I didn't have a CD player, but the neighbor had a, had a CD player and the CD player copied the, the CD onto a tape mm. that I listened to on my with my Walkman. And so I remember being in my bed and listening to um, to incantations and I memorized everything. I memorized the, the patterns of the panning, like mm. because like Mike is very particular with where things yes. happen and the stereo feel and stuff. And and I, I followed all the instruments and in my head I had all the mm. the patterns of the production choices laid out and stuff. Because back then I didn't really know enough about the music theory to understand what was going on. Mm. Like I always had the sense something really special is going on, but I couldn't. I didn't know what it was, right? So, but I was able to kind of like yeah. map out the <clears throat> panning of the parts and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, was... why didn't you buy the tape in the first place? Uh, because I was, I had the vinyl, right? And so I was aware that I, I sort of understood what digital media was already. So I knew that okay, it wouldn't have the crackles, hmm. right? And it would have like a better sound quality than a tape. I knew that. So having a copy of the CD on tape was so much better than making a copy of, of, of the vinyl. And that's, that's why. Okay. And like, and like the second album I bought was Islands. That must, mm. so that must have been a CD I bought was Islands in 87. And then I got a CD player. Okay. Yeah. So there's one thing I, I'm curious about. Um, the, the melody um, of the, the opening melody of part one, that is such a, I mean, we, I think it's the, one of the, the incredible things about this piece of music is that this melody does not seem unnatural, even though it's really one of the most unique melodies I think I know 
Yes. Um, yeah. Is that? Do you think this is a melody which, um, which came? Would you say it's it's more conceptual of nature because it uses the, sort of the, the pitches, or is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. It is totally that that conceptual thing. Mm -hmm. So it's just the notes of that chord, of that that uh, you could say that uh, uh, construction principle mm -hmm. of that chord is what he plays. That's that's the notes, and actually, that's why I have to recommend the Nepworth video again. Like he plays it there, so you can hear how he came up. You can see him play the beginning, the first measure of the melody, mm -hmm. and then it alternates between phrases that go up and down, right? Like so, yeah. the first measure goes up, the second measure goes down. It's an alternation of that. Also, with these interesting, like that, the tags at the end of the melody, they are tri triplets. Mm -hmm. Again, which is this feature that he puts the triplet on the on the binary. Yeah beat you know byron binary black background and stuff and it's really it's really it's really great but that's what it is it's just a two two bar phrase that is being shifted around you know with mm. according to the circle of fifth and in the, the opening the opening melody is sort of like um just you know in inverted commas a repetition of that theme for a mm. few times yeah right so it's it's purely flute I think at the beginning and then it's kind of like yeah. a synth and then it's like a, maybe synth and flute doubled can't even remember now exactly there's also like obviously the live version that does it slightly differently mm. and it's it also um, in the live version it has the vibraphone in it and I don't think it has that in the studio version but I, yeah. I'm not 100% sure but so the what is really like when you want to talk about that melody uh, the opening Melody, which is again just the, the arpeggiated chord. Um, it's the last section of the studio of part one, um, the studio recording, which has the um, development of that theme. So where the melody is actually turned into a flute solo, and it's a written, mm -hmm. it's a written flute solo, um, probably worked out on guitar before. Uh, or maybe he recorded it like half speed with with a synthesizer or something and then had somebody transcribe it or or maybe he wrote it with David Bedford like I don't know like it's all, all of these are possibilities um, and he does these these wonderfully amazing things where where as I said it's a it's a it's a bar like a total bar of 11 beats right that's in that section and but the flute play sequences that are like in 4-4 on top of that. And then, so he does all of these kind of like things that um, uh, that that kind of like com composers, I would say most composers kind of like discover this way of mm -hmm. writing with independent time signatures <clears throat> and independent, independently shifting harmonic structures, let's say, at some point in their career. And that was his, that part is his, his career mm -hmm. where he started experimenting with all these um, these polyrhythms and um, sort of polymetric stuff, uh, and it's really it's really cool. And for me, that flute solo section, so the last whatever five minutes mm -hmm. of side uh, of part one, is uh, is just it's just incredible. And it's sort of the development of the melody. And some and and like well, not only some, but most of the variations that are created out of the melody appear in, in other parts of the mm -hmm. album. So for example, the what I call the watery theme, the do that also the actual lead part, the mm -hmm. flute plays it in that section. Right? So it's 
So you see like all these little elements, they are kind of not only sort of background animals, uh, elements or, or uh, uh, orchestrational or arrangement ideas. They are actual, actual little motifs that he draws from. And so he puts them, he uses them in parallel and he uses them also linearly and most famously for me in that, in that flute, flute solo section. So, um, yeah, maybe I can just um, ask this now because um, <clears throat> the piece opens in F sharp. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, some, one thing I notice is that the dramatic moments of part three are in the same, or would have the same root note as the dramatic movement in Omidon, which is C sharp. Mm-hmm. Is there a, do you think there's a significance in the fact that, that it's, it, it's not in other pieces of it. So I compared, I took a look at, uh, some of those, but it's, it's, it's interesting to me that the, that the, um, the dramatic, the real dramatic, the highlight of the, the, um, intensity rises to its peak, uh, both in C sharp, um, mm-hmm. in terms of functionality, I, I would say, in, is there a, is that a coincidence or is that, is there a sort of, um, so, so actually, if you could tell me what the last note of part three is, I could tell give you a good answer ah, because so I don't okay. so because yeah. you know as I say if we talk if we talk about dominance right so even though it's all, everything is in minor but C sharp would be the dominant of F sharp mm-hmm. so that's why maybe because there's a slight of sort of like a resolution at the end of part four yes. where it's a surprise chord at the end right. So yeah. you, we could call even that we could call the mm. surprise we could we could call a resolution. Yeah. Um, so no, but I don't know. And you know, this is the interesting thing. I really because I have so much uh, respect and love for this album. I I did sometimes uh, I did kind of like transcribe things or but I never went into detail. Yeah. I never really it wanted does. to know uh, all the secrets of this because. It's just so incredibly fascinating and beautiful. <clears throat> I think um, we will. I, I agree. I think there is, um, and maybe also even. I mean, it happens in the moment, and when you look back, even if the composer looks back, who knows what was conscious um, or what comes from subconsciousness and what comes from the concept. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what clearly what he does here is he sets up um, a space um, of possibilities. Mm-hmm. And then he plays and composes, and um, some of these things may not be intentional in the original meaning of that word or in the strict meaning of that word, but they're always a possibility. They always there's always the chance that something happens, but and, the, and creating the chance is not coincidental. That is something which is um, intentional. And um, yeah, I mean, you you see, like uh, it was good that you asked about this. Um the key center of the third part, right? Or the end of the third part. Um, what is fascinating about the four parts is that they actually, you know, they, they, you would, we were talking about the editing before and putting the sections together and you, it, it flows, it flows across the boundaries of the vinyl, the vinyl side. Right. So and that is that is sort of like special to note as well that even like the restriction there mm-hmm. and that's that's why you're probably right that Amarok is kind of like closely related because Amarok does fills the whole hour without a break mm-hmm. because on CD you could could do that you know but on vinyl it was kind of like broken down into these into these sections yeah but still it's a flow there there is not and in the live in the live version you can 
kind of here that going from the first um, part into the second part there's no break mm -hmm. and exactly. also the third into the fourth there's no break yeah. and also interestingly you mentioned Woodhenge before I always thought that that piece was sort of a um, odd piece on, uh, on Platinum it was mm -hmm. it was I loved I loved it. Mm -hmm. I always thought, man, this should go on for longer. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and um, and probably if it had been part of incantation, it might have gone on for longer, or maybe it would have gone into something else, and it would have felt completely at home on that album. Um, yeah, and then like we can we could ask the question, okay, which part of incantations would have, have would it mm -hmm. have been part of? Yes, I yeah. I think the fourth. It yeah. Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah. it's one of these, yeah. um, to me, these sections which have no, which have no ending, but then he manages to somehow integrate them into something which is about constant change. So, yeah. yeah. And so we have a symmetry with the second part and the fourth part. Hey, actually, and so the um, Woodhenge again, it also has the, it has the, the theme, the first excursion theme, which is like the first theme of mm. part one that we're talking about mm. actually um, uh, it has that in it Woodhenge has that in it um, and and this is sort of like I you know also in a way this incantations theme is sort of a, an inversion of of Omadon mm. I mean it's not exactly the same but but it's like it's sort of like yeah. an inversion of that, you know. And actually, in um, this is this is kind of interesting. In uh, exposed in the exposed record mm -hmm. live album, um, when he's playing um, the tubular bells, there is a moment where he's quoting Amadon over, you know, over it in tubular bells mm -hmm. in yeah. a solo. <clears throat> And it is really, it is really there. You get the, it, you get the total incantations vibe. Mm -hmm. So it's really, it's really interesting. Like, you know. Yeah, to me, so. uh, if if to me, incantation sort of. Um, he he said about it. He did not want to have it just be a part two. But he wanted to go over it. But but to me, it, it's a summary of um, of everything he's done and more. But there's so much of the other albums in there, but but not in a in a trivial way, not in a quote way, but in mm -hmm. a they they, they 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 feel like they've been woven into the structure of the music somehow. This you, you see like this 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 fact that he discovered this this movement in fourth and fifth, mm -hmm. and and um, he incorporated that into guitar parts. You can you can still hear that in uh, on platinum. Um, you could hear that in the the solo. The, the solo, um, like part two of Tribal Bells on Exposed solo section, mm -hmm. the, the E minor, kind of what is it, like Rhodes and electric guitar. Yep. Um, and then he plays that beautiful solo on top and he goes into this this incredible kind of like arpeggiated section. And again, that is sort of like the same, that that's the thing that he discovered while working on incantations. Yep. So you can see that these... And I mean, it's it's great. I think it's great, like like with him, that these discoveries he makes, he kind of like keeps them. He doesn't really uh, keep milking them for more than two yeah. albums. Yeah. Like, and then he kind of like <clears throat> changes the the approach completely again. Yeah. You know. Uh, but 
But yes, there is there is a lot that sort of like found its way into the live performance that actually comes from maybe even just simply because he had to practice the parts for incantations. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he became a better player because it's it's an incredibly difficult thing to play because the the key changes every two seconds on that album. Yes, it's interesting that the classical musicians who were part of the performances Mm -hmm. were interviewed um, for a documentary and and they were all very positive about the music. They said it was a, it was good fun playing it, and that is very very rare. I'm pretty sure uh, from experience and from from what I would imagine, most classical musicians see these kind of uh, gigs as a way to make m- easy money, at best. Uh, yeah, I, I remember though that there was some that they had some kind of sort of uh, trouble because uh, obviously, like you, you know the the tour for incantations was the exposed tour yes. right and they had 55 people yes. in the band in the band <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and and like i guess you know and i mean this is something uh maybe let's go there again so you talked about therapy that mm-hmm. mike did therapy can do can you tell us more about that because um you know the fact that he went on tour and he went from like not wanting to go out to touring with 55 yes. people uh it's kind of mood swingy right so uh yes. <laughs> so what what happened there in the well he um um not to go into it too much but um essentially he went into therapy to because he was in a bad place again uh, during the recordings of, of the album and um the this the therapy exegesis um was 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 pretty was was actually not quite unpopular. It was pretty popular at the time. It was well known, and he he went in, had a friend of his um, go with him as as support, and um, the the um, the therapy is about taking responsibility. I would say, it is about um, admitting that um, that you are responsible for who you are and where you are in life. That is supposedly also the idea, well, it's one theory, the idea behind the title Guilty, which he recorded after mm-hmm. um, after finishing Incantations, mm-hmm. um, is the idea, well, if I'm feeling bad and if I'm in a bad place, then I'm guilty of, um, of being there mm-hmm. and I have to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And the, the theory itself um, consists of a few days of talking and then in the final stages, <clears throat> um, you are sort of um, induced into a into a state of, of trance and um, release. And um, you admit, uh, you, you, you allow yourself to express everything negative in yourself and to come out and um, you become a child, you go back, become a child and you are reborn into a different person without the, 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 the negative ballast and, and, mm-hmm. and luggage um, that, that you had before. Um, so it's a it's a re- rebirth thing. It's a rebirthing like, yeah. kind of thing, and yeah. um, you. It is ecstatic. Mm-hmm. It, it is it is horrifying, and then it's ecstatic, and it's um, an incredible release of energy, and um, it it gives you an incredible amount of energy, um, and that's I think what what was happening in in the time directly after. And he describes it, and other people describe it. They couldn't actually place the person he was after therapy with the person before. And um, so he actually also, I mean, on the positive side of things, he goes out 
he does interviews. He um, he starts writing a different music, um, and um, despite um, statements made by close associates of his to the um, to to the um, opposite, I think some of this music is incredible and and some of the best he's ever written, precisely because he's now has a more positive mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does change him, and on, on, on maybe on the downside, on an impulse, he marries. And then gets divorced again within three weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he also, um, I think, it, yeah. Well, the, the change in music also is um, maybe regrettable in, in, in a few other instances. I think um, it's it's maybe. I don't. I don't think so. I think that's sort of like people who say that are sort of arrogant. I mean, arrogant and kind of. Uh, I don't even want to say the word. Um, like if if a person you know makes a decision to uh, kind of like try something else or to change or to you know and kind of challenge. No, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I think it's absolutely fantastic, and I think musically it's just that people were not getting what they what they were expecting, and that's I think that's cool. If you know if you're an artist who can do that, it's such the it's it's very very cool. I think the thing is more that I um, think that maybe um, what he did before was is, is was an important part of himself. Maybe we're lucky we even got four albums of this music. It's fantastic. Um, but you know that he himself said that um, he had a trouble um, finishing incantations. Oh yeah. Because because he he didn't like it anymore. He didn't like the concept. Yeah. Halfway through, he didn't like it anymore, and it was a struggle to finish it. Yes. And I think it's I think you can hear that a little bit. Maybe it's interesting that the time. If you look at the timeline, a lot of it was recorded afterwards. I was surprised. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of it was re- in terms of the sessions. Most of the musicians come in after uh, after the therapy, which is in June, and then in, I think up to December there are the sessions, and um, a lot of it is recorded then. And then of course he he does and um, and, and arranges everything uh, himself. Um, According to himself, he didn't musically. I think he just saw it through. Mm-hmm. Um, other thing, like, are there certain passages you think um, where you can tell maybe that it was uh, a struggle to to finish? Um, I think it's yeah. It's, I think it's it's part part three, which actually um, is sort of. I mean, I, I mean, I can't, I can't really say that because I love it so much. <laughs> but it really has something slightly different about it. It's like conceptually, it's so, it's it's hard. It's it was. I guess it was hard for him to pull it off in the recording studio because mm-hmm. live it works beautifully, right? I, so I think that maybe the frustration or the difficulty wasn't so much with the composition, with the musical material, but with like mm-hmm. how to make it work in a recorded you know in in the recording studio and that's sort of like what i'm hearing there where it sounds a little bit more plasticky uh mm. for a reason like it's very dry and and the drums sound kind of like uh i mean i like i do like it but it's really particular it is uh, very particular yes, yes 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 the opening the intro of part three is that a non sequitur is that do you have any idea where that yeah it's a been? i think uh i think it's he lifted he lifted that melody and that section from somewhere um, because I think I've actually seen the score of like a, um, a piece from, I can't even remember, like three, four, five hundred years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw some notation that, so it was a quote from, okay. a, from, a, uh, from a composition that he must have heard somewhere. 
He was listening to a lot of classical and um, sacred music. Yes, and time. and sort of. Um, I think it's got to do, got to do a little bit, and like we talked about that a little bit. I think when we talked about Omadon, that he um, he made less less penning, and they played you know folk music together, and sort of like rearranged some 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 tunes together, and so maybe maybe during that time he found this this like say medieval sounding kind of dance yep. kind of music but but then it's sort of like so cool because it's mixed with, with the incantations yep. theme and the incantations theme though there in that section it's all in major it's all major chords so it's really cool uh kind of just a you know a juxtaposition to uh part one really very much right and um Yeah, but I, I I think like especially on the on the exposed the exposed version is uh, is really a fantastic realization of of part three, yeah, and the groove like with Pierre Moulin playing those 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 drums and and the uh, um, also like the, the the melodies there that that don't seem to kind of like relate to the other melodies mm -hmm. on the record, um, they're just so cool, and. And I, I mean, there's also like the, like the proggy, proggy thing, which has like changing, changing time signatures in a unison, kind of like a unison way. Yeah. Things he like, like really hardly ever does on any other record. Uh, it's, it's just so cool. I mean, I, I love it, but still, it seems like I can see how the struggle may have been to make it work in the studio. I love, I love what I love about this is the that it, he, he goes through these constant changes in the in the uh, um, in the bass at first, and mm -hmm. then when it comes to that uh, moment I mentioned where he goes into C sharp, yes. um, he he oscillates between two, and then he goes back, and mm -hmm. it's this um, I don't know it's this um, stop and start, and you and then he locks in at the right moment, and this this. Uh, It makes it all the more powerful, but it yeah. has a more fluent motion. It's not like an Omadon where you actually everything is building up to one climactic eruptive moment, mm -hmm. but it's sort of it's it's flowing, and yeah. you go back, and then it goes back once more. Um, a lot of guitarists seem to find seem to be incredibly impressed by by the playing on this. Is there? Can you? Maybe tell what's so challenging or so difficult about this. Okay, so first of all, it's change. Like I said, it's changing key with every phrase. Yeah. Right. So, so it, you're moving sort sort of moving a pattern, a scalar pattern around, which is difficult on guitar, especially if you go through all 12 keys. And, mm -hmm. You know, um, and the 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 melodies, the phrases he's playing, they're totally not guitaristic. Like people would say, like there is a certain way to play guitar, yeah. things that lie easily under the fingers, and he just kind of like plays uh, the notes he has to play for these melodies are conceptual at first, and so he needs needed to work them out to play on guitar, and I'm I'm sure there's there was a lot of splicing and putting it together in the studio. Yeah. I mean, it was not played through all the way. Mm -hmm. um, I mean maybe, but I don't I don't think so, um, and. It's really just this this ver variation, the variations, the melodic and harmonic variations he does on the guitar, and also it's not just one guitar. At some points, it's the guitar is harmonized with another guitar, mm -hmm. there, right? Um, and so, in a way, this section, the guitar, the long guitar solo, is the equivalent to the end of part one, where it's the flute playing on yes. top of this. So, you yeah. know, it's sort of like the same thing but different. 
Right. I don't know if you've read this. I found this. Um, I should have. I should quote this. I, I forgot to copy the quote. But um, mm. <clears throat> there's an, uh, a longer passage on the Mike Oldfield website where it says um, he bought specifically for this project a Gibson L6S. So he buys. He has all the guitars he had from his previous project. He buys the Gibson L6S, mm. and apparently the main reason this is a direct quote for choosing the guitar was its neck because of both the feel and the fact that the intonation was accurate right the way up to the twenty fourth fret. Yes, exactly. Because it has that it has that very high mm-hmm. E in it, and actually the funny thing is like um, I think on on uh, Platinum mm-hmm. uh, North Star, yes. So part four of Platinum, he uh, plays the highest note he ever plays on a guitar, and and, and apparently it's like fr- he's fretting the note on the pickup. Ah, that's not on the fret. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but that's kind of like what mm. I heard. You know, because it's a high G or something, so it's really beyond what is available on a on a guitar. Well, that's, that, that is an incantation then. Yeah, and so so yes, uh, makes total sense. You know, like yeah. intonation incredibly important for incantations because yeah, you want to play the same thing in all keys, mm-hmm. right? And like guitars are not really known for being well tempered, uh, right? So yeah. so yeah. I just had to think also because we're talking about this particularly that um, <clears throat> um, that th- this album arrived at the at the very uh, sort of um, the moment that punk broke through and he talks about this extensively um, and it's um, there's, there's the, the the talk about Pink Floyd being the antithesis uh, to um, to punk but really I mean this is the um, yes yeah yeah this really is and that's yeah. I think that's also why. Um, Maybe his hate towards um, punk, if we can call it that, but but this is deep um, loathing of punk. Maybe comes from because it was so antithetical to what he was doing himself at this moment. Um, it's I don't think it's actually true that um, that Virgin was actually trying to be a punk label, and history doesn't actually show that mm-hmm. they did sign the the, the, the Sex Pistols, um, but really Virgin got their big commercial breakthrough after Tubular Bells with um, with the new wave bands like Human League and uh, so punk wasn't and it was punk was never commercially that interesting and it lasted for two years maybe I mean Simon Draper loved all sorts of music yeah. and so it was really not about uh, being anything in particular I don't think so and Simon Draper lo- loved Mike Oldfield also when Incantations was released, yeah. right? So I don't, I don't think that there was any um, any bad intentions or kind of like even no. change. And um, it was just that they went with the flow and they kind of like you know supported um, different, very different scenes. Yeah. And like you know, I mean, like supporting Faust or like Tangerine Dream, and then like Tangerine Dream was successful. Faust wasn't was dropped yep. at the very beginning. Then like obviously they put out the. Uh, the Gong albums and yeah. um, so I, I think I, I think and I also like I mean to be quite honest like in the in the way that Mike has been presenting it himself like he never really presented himself I don't think so but uh, it, like so he kind of like got you know into this this mode of like of following narratives and maybe it was things that like maybe people suggested to him to talk mm-hmm. about. Uh, from a marketing perspective, so it wasn't really so much what I don't I don't think that he, as such a music lover, would actually have problem with punk. I think that it was like maybe not his thing, right? Okay, but 
but I'm sure he would. He just loves that people make music. What kind of like created the problem was that the in the in the the the, the, the media, if we want to call it that, sort of like made made it harder for him to kind of like exist, because the focus was shifting on kind of like what was being promoted, what is cool. Yeah. And and it's not that his school was any less cool. His music was any less cool because somebody didn't call it cool anymore. Mm -hmm. But if you're kind of like getting sort of a little bit addicted to the dopamine hit of mm -hmm. being successful, right? It can be it can be very hard. So I, I see that as like the main thing. I don't think I really don't think that he has a problem with music. The latter part is super make. important, I'm sure. It's also um, well, I, I did get to talk to Trevor Horn um, recently, um, something we'll um, get into more in more depth in the podcast because I actually managed to talk to him very briefly about Tubular Bells 2 and we'll uh, try to get that um, section or that segment of the of my conversation um, into the podcast uh, mm -hmm. very soon. Um, Trevor Horn uh, is, was was very, very strongly um, against punk. And he uh, his quote was essentially that punk was just badly produced rock music. Um, <laughs> but, but the interesting thing is... And Trevor is a big fan of Incantations. Exactly. And, and he also told me that his favorite album is Incantations. And funnily enough, his favorite part of Incantations, which he actually singled out specifically without me having to ask him, is the... Um, is the end of the second movement, yes. which to many people is where um, that, that sort of separates the lovers and the haters. Yes. Um, <laughs> and um, <clears throat> but but I can the, the but Trevor Horn is so interesting. I think not to get into this too much, but one thing is interesting about this in conversation. I I was expecting him to be someone who. So I asked him, what is more, not what is more important, but where do you see, how do you see the balance between the song, the composition and the arrangement? Mm -hmm. And I would assume that the, this, this conversation has been going on for ages and it will, you cannot resolve it because in the ultimate, like in, in, in the ideal case, the two are uh, inseparable. Mm -hmm. yeah. But, but I would assume that producers just because it's their expertise and their, their contribution, they would see how important the arrangement is and they would maybe just to balance it slightly more um, away from the composition, they would say it's the production. But, but Trevor Horn was always, he doesn't start producing before the song is done. Mm -hmm. So he actually, when he, when, you, when he gets sent a song, the first thing he's, uh, he can hear whether or not it's promising, but he will then say, before we actually go into the studio, let's go take a piano or a guitar um, and, and work on the arrangement. Let's work on the song. Let's work on the lyrics. And, and I can see why that kind of mentality was, um, came into conflict with punk and everything it brought. Mm -hmm. And may, I could see like how you, if you compose something like Incantations and you spend two years or know, one and a half, between one and a half and two years in the studio and in, um, with writing, and refining it to what it is and what it ends up to being, I can see how that, um, um, well, is very different from from that mentality and how it, you know. Yeah, and, and speaking of that again, so uh, side one or part one and part two mm -hmm. of incantations uh, with the string, string ensemble. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, the writing that. I'm sure David Bedford did like obviously the orchestration yeah. and the, the notation as well um, is incredible. 
it's really just just musically um harmonically we already talked about like harmonically like conceptually harmonically but how it was kind of like put into into reality into sounds it's just so fascinating and where <clears throat> part one is the fast movement and part two is the slow movement you know in general more general terms and and like the atmosphere is the the sort of like the also the idea of spreading out the sound so much you have very high pitched mm -hmm. uh string parts in part two for example and yeah. and low and then you have like this the the melody we have like this this timpani sound which is does this uh this like three four beat and the melody on top and four four which is played by on bass guitar and electric guitar mm -hmm. and and but with the strings in the background and like it's just so beautiful and so as you say like it's sort of like really on the opposite spectrum of of the um of what was happening at the time and like my as you say like we said mike kind of like attached himself more to the um say contemporary classical or popular classical music of the time which was as you said uh steve reich or or philip glass which like he ended up working with the people of philip glass on the next record so you could see that that's where his head was probably right yeah. at the time um and like I'm just i mean this is totally i'm gonna say it anyway the uh so you're asking like it's the right the album starts in f sharp right starts with an f sharp and it's funny, like the F sharp sort of represents on a keyboard the note that where you're going out of the system of the diatonic system. Mm. Because all the white keys are there and then like you if you're doing like a stacked fifth starting on F, you end up on a B, that gives you the C major scale or F Lydian for that matter. And then the next fifth, that would be the F sharp. And sort of, in a way, it has sort of like a symbolic meaning. Mm -hmm. I don't think that Mike ever thought about that. But sort of the F sharp is the symbol of stepping beyond. Is it You're possibly also pretty much in the middle of, of the keyboard? Exactly. Well, in the, it's in the middle between C and C. Of course. It's yes, of course, that's always... A it's, the, it's the tritone, yeah. right? So, so yes, exactly. So it's sort of like, it stands for, it stands for going beyond what is presented to you in diatonic music. So it's the one note, the, the first note in the circle of fifth mm -hmm. that goes beyond the white keys. Right, and so in in so far it makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I mean, I've always wondered. I mean, when I said at the beginning that I would like to ask you questions, it's because it's always always the, the discussions of the album always fo focus on on the circle of fifth, and it's and they're saying so he 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 based the album on the circle of fifth. I don't think that's. I mean, that doesn't explain anything. But I do think that the circle of fifth, in a way, is also a magical instrument because it's a fairly new device um, in the history of music. Yeah. Um, the whole idea of um, uh, of this perfect, well, well regular intonation—not yeah. just intonation, but regular intonation—is yeah. um, is new, and it's it's a sort of magic. It was unthinkable to the old Greeks when they tried to figure that out exactly. um, that that this could be done. But yes. but it's sort of um, you you do something, and suddenly everything uh, is aligned and um, that is a sort of magic in itself. So maybe I think it's not a question so much of using this, the circle of fifths for its own sake, but it's sort of the possibilities it opens up, it opens up a, a magical space. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, 
and maybe we don't we don't want people to get the wrong impression it's not that the whole record is ba is always the same exactly. movement around the circular fifth like he plays with that yeah. and like most particularly it's the uh, uh diana section yes right which happens both in uh, part one and part two um is really is, is is fascinating because he sort of plays with that freedom of changing of of moving freely around the circle of fifth but he doesn't do it in a patterning way yeah. anymore there and so you have this 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 melody like again like every phrase is in a new key but it's but it's not following hmm any particular pattern and i i don't also i don't remember exactly the, the 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 cycle i think it's nine it's a nine bar phrase again so this is very old field mm -hmm. right so rather than having like like an epic melody uh like tubular bells finale epic melody 10 10 measures or something i think right yeah. and then uh, i can't remember with uh Omadon, it's maybe 14 or something like that uh and here now the diana section is three times three and also represented in in how the in, in you know even the words are the words are kind of like treated as a pattern there mm -hmm. um and the but the the harmonic movement is not kind of like restricted to the circle of fifth mm -hmm. anymore um and just like these these the to work with like odd time signatures is one thing like it's kind of boring like yeah. if you are composition uh, a musician and they realize like somebody's just writing a piece in five four is boring right it's it's as re as restrictive as being in four four or three four or whatever but coming from like being free and changing the 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 length of our of the phrase mm -hmm. that's where it gets interesting so having a nine bar melody is is an incredibly cool thing and this is where like the the brain of the usual listener coming back to the idea of incantations is put into trance because like you're expecting the melody to end after eight like subconsciously expecting it to be eight phrases long and then there's a ninth phrase which means that some people will hear the ninth phrase as the first phrase yep. you know and so that's why some people may not even be getting or understanding what's happening because yep. You're overlaying your expectation of what the patterns and the phrases should be, and then it's not met with yeah. what's actually happening, and and that's a good thing because like it makes it very interesting, and it's something you can listen to for, you know, your whole life. Like you know, look at me. Yes, and I yeah, I mean, I actually have this effect um, even still today with the tubular bells opening. Um, sequence mm -hmm. i find it hard to determine with absolute certainty where it ends and begins once it started yeah, yeah. And i've gone back to it several times and i'm still not sure if i can actually even if i had the score in front of me if i could actually feel it mm -hmm. but it's yeah. a, but i love the feeling and i suppose maybe that's why some people as we discussed before we started recording some people find it hard to um listen through incantations um because it does put you in a state of um, float. Let's float. It's a sort of a floating state, um, and it does it from both angles. So it does it through one where it keeps the sort of constant change, and then in the end of the second movement, it has this this this. Um, it achieves the same effect by by having one chord in the background, which doesn't change a single time throughout the entire length of that yes. of that section. Yeah. 
hey, there's actually some other link that we haven't mentioned. So um, the the drums on in the Hiawatha section, that's Jabula as well, yes. the percussion group that played on um, at, the, at the end of Ramadan, right? And I read actually that uh, Julian Bahula just died. Yes, very sadly, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's 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 sort of like a link there. And then we didn't mention disco music at all, which was the same the time, right? Seventy eight. Yeah. That's like where there was a, still a huge explosion. So it's more, it wasn't only punk that kind of like happened. It was also disco. And Mike more so went to the disco direction. Yeah. And you can hear like the octave bass kind of things in incantations mm -hmm. and sort of the layering and the trance thing, that's also very much a technique that was used in, in disco music at the time. Absolutely. Um, and and I, I'm glad he went to the disco direction because some of the stuff he did <clears throat> um, where he, he does this fusion are incredible. And just, um, mm -hmm. it, feels, it feels very natural. I think mm -hmm. that is what interests me. Mm -hmm. It feels very natural, not at all forced. Um, not sure about... Um, the Taurus 2 thing on uh, Five Miles Out, that is a question of taste, I suppose, where you also have sort of a, a disco beat. Um, but on um, mm -hmm. on Guilty, I think it's amazing. I think always thought that was uh, yeah incredible. And I think we mentioned this, or I mentioned this before in this series, that um, the deluxe edition of Incantations has mm -hmm. uh, this piano improvisation yes. on it, which is sort of the, the themes of Platinum and yeah. Guilty in one little piano piece yeah right yeah that's why i was saying i think it's uh it doesn't it isn't so much the end of something it's really the beginning of something as well there's um the piece pipe tune that was released mm -hmm. which works so i can't even remember what must have been a b-side or something mm -hmm. which has um um the, the sort of like the b the b section of that piece pipe tune is the beginning of part four of incantations so mm -hmm. it's the lift the lifted that theme for another piece of music but there's a, a different melody the pipe melody and there's another um little demo on in the deluxe edition there where mike actually plays the, the pipes the bagpipes mm -hmm. so so he wanted to learn at that time to learn to learn to play yes. bagpipes yeah it took him a year i think he said yeah yeah but then on incantations there's no there are no bagpipes interestingly enough yeah. But at that time, he was kind of like working on that. I think it's just so cool. I mean, like, I mean, I, you know that he's my hero in so many ways. Uh, but I, how cool is that, that you actually kind of like, I mean, it was the time before we had all these distractions, right? Yeah. <laughs> Distractions. I, yeah. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's fascinating to listen to it with the ears of someone, for me, who grew up with um, all of these um, technical possibilities that, at musicians' disposal, <clears throat> I think we often forget how how great some of the musicians were at a time when you couldn't just um, well you could splice it together with tape that was mm -hmm. that was established, but it was a lot more um, work intense, and you wouldn't just do that. Uh, for example, the 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 the, uh, the marimba cannon. Uh, vibraphone. Vibraphone cannon. Um, I actually expe expected that one to. Um, to be edited, but it's not. They're just playing it um, live. I'm pretty sure it, it sounded to me like it was edited because it's so so close. They're, they're really, it's I don't know. It's and then you see it and play it live, and it's just uh, they're yeah. just playing it. Yeah, you know that's that's the most fascinating part of the whole composition of incantations, where 
remember what I said that there's like an ascending bar measure of the melody and a descending. Yeah. And so here, the, he basically shifts one of the vibraphones and he says that it was an accident on tape. I don't believe him. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's true. I don't know. But anyway, so he's putting the, the, the canon part, the, the vibraphone part or the melody into canon with itself. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's also this, this, um, section where I said where the, where the cycle is, um, the rhythmic cycle is very complex, where he yeah. drops one beat from the 11, uh, every eight bars or something. So it's rather than being eight times, yeah. uh, 11 it's so which would be 88 it's actually 87 because like you know like one beat is dropped there and it's again with this the disco kind of bass under it like mm. with the, these octaves right with the with the the accent on the off beats right and it's so cool and that's also the section where so you have the the vibraphone cannon running and then you have this what i said earlier where the bass notes kind of like sometimes they are the third sometimes they are the mm -hmm. root sometimes they are the fifth and uh, it's just it's just so fascinating. And on top of that, on top of that eighty-seven sort of like cycle or whatever it is, can't remember now exactly. Um, he's um, he's putting a percussion part in four-four. Yeah. Right. So it's like the with like sleigh bells or whatever it is on top of that. And it's so cool. And I love um, the, the, about the canon is that <clears throat> because it's um, two parts which are played by the same instrument, um, it's hard to separate them. I, I really tried to to, 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 to to listen to the or hear the, the individual lines, but it's very, very hard. Yeah. And now, um, and now it the, comes. Now it comes. The overlapping parts of the canon, they make um, in the middle, you could say, mm -hmm. they meet and make a melody. And that's the melody he plays on the guitar on top of it all. Mm. So, that's so cool. Yeah, that is pretty great. Yes. And, and you know, the, this, this is something that's particularly noticeable in the live version, where at the end of the melody, of that melody on the guitar, he just plays like one note per measure, mm -hmm. and it goes up in whole steps. So it kind of covering the whole tone scale on top of the movement, which is in fifth, which is... Yeah. So it's kind of like, it's really... It's really, really beautifully conceived and and highly complex and still so so uh, listenable, you know, mm -hmm. just so inviting and enchanting and beautiful. Yeah, <clears throat> and also this um, the, um, the this way of composing. One thing I, I notice in many of his pieces is that he uses upwards and downwards movement in other pieces where the where it's not that pronounced, but he he likes to use it to. Um, <clears throat> denote change or for example the ending or something or mood or and um, i think the great thing is that sort of you can almost create um sections where the melody keeps going down all the time mm -hmm. which would have been impossible because other like if you stay within one key it reaches a natural nat natural end yes but but the way because he's going constant jumping between um root notes you can actually keep going down and down and down and down and you stay within the the mood or the signaling um, of that movement. Exactly, that is, exactly. It's also yeah, it's this, this idea to use the interval and the inversion of the interval. Yeah. And that way you can kind of like navigate and it gives that, that feeling of a constant, uh, constantly descending or ascending part. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know that there uh, are a lot of things we haven't talked about. For example, um, and maybe you remember that better than I from the, 
from the autobiography um, that he went and talked to people about, you know, who wanted to find texts, you know, lyrics to use mm -hmm. uh, or a text to actually use in the record and ended up using the Song of Hiawatha by uh, Long Longfellow, Long. right? And then, uh, what's it, Ben Johnson, the mm -hmm. Hymn to Diana, it's yeah. actually called, but... Yeah, Diana they, comes up repeatedly and then he marries yeah. Diana, which is also a nice incantation. Yeah, <laughs> really? Okay. Um, yeah, but but sort of like this, this the fact that he kind of like did want to find people that sort of are, are kind of like spiritual, but not necessarily uh, religious or, you know, like... Mm -hmm. um, and 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 he was put off like i think in the autobiography he says he was put off by quite a few of the people he tried to meet to give him like these interesting lyrics so that he didn't end up using yes that was the original plan yeah you know. he doesn't actually mention too much he just the the episodes where he gets to meet shamans and druids and um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> um yeah shamans and druids um don't <laughs> feel I know in one case, uh, um, one woman um, actually doesn't say a single word. Mm -hmm. So that was, of course, not particularly fruitful. Uh, <laughs> another tries to convert him to uh, Druidism. Um, I like the effort, though. I think um, just, um, I mean, it's very easy to do research these days and you just go online and, and, and seek out sources and videos. And, uh, but he actually gets, he actually meets these people. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's um, a step beyond um, your usual research process. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. By the way, the Jabula sections, do you th I, I, I'm, at least on paper, he did go into the studio with them. I just thought they were very so close to the Omadon stuff. Do you think it could have been leftovers? Yeah, them? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's very possible. I was reminded... And it's also used like a sample. Yes. Remember that we said yep. that on, uh, on Omadon, it's like there may be some loops anyway, drum loops yeah. and and so i think that's it may be a leftover yes. because he played for them during the omadon sessions for hours and hours and i was reminded of the way they sound on um, incantations is similar to how the drums sound on return to omadon yeah because that's very, also a sample yeah yeah and also on amarok it's also sampled in amarok yeah. Uh, yeah 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 also like the um the interesting thing is that this the 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 boran you know that um, mm. percussion instrument also kind of like starts making more of an ap appearance here where it was uh, I think he must have used it before in on his singles mm -hmm. right um, but here it makes an appearance on the already in Omadon obviously but here in part four mm -hmm. you have these 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 kind of grooves with yeah. the boran with the with like hitting the frame, so getting that that wooden clicky kind of sound and stuff, and in a way, um, the um, Hiawatha like Jabula section there is really uh, it's a different sound, but in a way like and I, this is what I love about it. It's sort of like mingles that it's a, it's you know it's, you could say oh it's the same kind of rhythm but different instruments, and so here it's like an Irish drum there it's like an african drum and i i love how that kind of like mm. gets mixed up in his style actually there is a, a piece called song for survival that he did for his daughter because his daughter was kind of part of a, of a film team that mm -hmm. did a uh, visit tribes in the amazon 
and I don't know if you know this no, piece at all. So it's like a three-minute piece, and it's it's incredible. It's very it's you could tell it was just produced in like thirty minutes or something. Mm -hmm. Like not much care went into it, but it's based on a on a uh, on a sample of a tribe singing a melody, an Amazon mm -hmm. tribe sing, singing a melody. And so, but what he does is kind of like starts it with like synthetic percussion and like. So like a, it could be a like what happens like in the first two minutes is like a song that could have been on Voyager or something like that. So him playing mm. the Strat with a very clean sound, playing this beautiful melody, and you could say it could be like an Irish melody yeah. or whatever. And then he stops, and then I'm, I'm getting goosebumps now. And then the the native tribe from mm. the Amazon sings, and it's that melody. Wow. It's so incredible. Like so so, and and then there's like a brief moment where he plays with them. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just just so moving and like this effect of this world music kind of like this mm -hmm. this whole I would call it whole world music it's not a world music it's yeah. not specific to a, you know but like like where the music he does sort of like represents sort of like the the essence somehow of yeah. of music and it's 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 still fascinating to me so maybe this is a good point to make sure that the um, this podcast um, doesn't get yeah, as long yes. as the as the actual music. Um, <laughs> well, it is. It is already is. <laughs> but, but we'll see. But there, but there, I'm. You know, there's still a lot that could be said. Yes. This is like important to point out, and I do really recommend to to check it out and to listen to the. To the to the studio album obviously but also to the real exposed version so you have to hunt down the uh, the album version because there is also a dvd called exposed which is a different version mm -hmm. so it's got to be the version that mike mixed remixed after you know from the live tapes and it's also um i think to me one of the deluxe editions which is um, extremely valuable <clears throat> because the the pieces the bonus material is not just historically interesting it's actually different takes on sections from the album yeah and which shed a new light on it yeah yeah and he made a remix of the diana section which is actually pretty cool yeah yeah and um some of the like the, the, the disco stuff suddenly sounds almost like tangent dream could have sounded like very very interesting yes i yeah. think um yeah i mean when i listened back to it it was really um I talked about this this constant opposites and and and, and um, the, the the unifying of, of different things. Yeah. I think um, human. I think why why I love it so much is that human life is finite, but um, music um, in its best moments can sort of get give us a glimpse or a feeling of the infinite. Mm -hmm. This this music does that. I think uh, that's why I think I can and I can dive in at any any point. It doesn't have to be the beginning. You can take out any movement, or you can dive in at part two. Yes, and it's sort of like uh, this the circle of fifth, and the, the the whole record. The four parts are like a cycle, like yep. a circle, and you can start from the beginning, and you get like you can listen to it endlessly on repeat. Yep. Okay. So thanks. This was great, and. Um, Next one would be platinum, but we'll also see if we can get the um, Trevor Horn yeah. thing up. And um, yes, yeah, yeah, and uh, maybe to to those who've been listening, uh, I've also uh, put out a conversation with uh, Anthony Glenn, um, talking a lot about Mike Oldfield. So, like, if you want to check that out on the Mark Reuter podcast, 
um, and we're trying to get like uh, we didn't originally plan to have uh, guests or mm. you know like but you know as we kind of like move forward with this maybe we'll get to talk a few people who are involved yeah. so anyway thank you for listening and until next time bye bye